The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. All right, well, you're joining us mid-conversation here this time on uh, the Story World podcast. We, uh, we're we flying really like crazy tonight. We don't have any notes or anything. We're just going to kind of jam for a few minutes on one of our favorite topics. What's up, Al? You doing all right, man? Yeah, I'm excited about tonight, mostly because I think it's going to be complete and utter mayhem. We're staring at a blank <laughs> world document that just says world building on it. And so yep. that's, yes. that's where we're going tonight. I'm really excited. Yeah. So, so yeah, the topic of the evening is world building. And so when, when I, I guess let's just start this way. Like, what is the first thing when I say, when I say world building now, you're a, you're a fiction guy, I'm a marketing guy, but like, I wonder what, what the term world building might mean to somebody if they were hearing it for the first time, you know, like, I, I wonder how they would because like somebody might be listening to this podcast who like they're interested in story, but they're really not sure what world building is. So maybe we explore that first a little bit. Like what it, what is, what do you think world building is? What do I think world building is, et cetera. So the first thing that I think of is uh token in middle earth. Um, and I definitely, uh, I think that token over world build, like the argument is, I'm glad that you wrote the Sumerian and you thought about all those things. It was fantastic. But then a lot of people are saying, hey, if it if that's great and all, but think about all the other stories he might have been able to tell if he didn't focus so much on perfecting the world. Oh. So there's two sides to that coin. And so that's why when I think and hear about world building, I love it. That's what gets me excited. I like to know like why this city is this way and why these people behave this way of the civilization and how it goes all the way back. But as far as the writing process, the world building gets really into the way and you can get really consumed um, into that. doesn't mean that you can't do proper world building, but um, so that's what I think is, is building your world. Um, having, I guess, a reason or a paragraph or something, even if you don't necessarily explain it to your readers, your readers don't need to know everything that happens. But if you have a sense of here's how things are the way it is, um, mm. that helps one. Even if the characters don't know the background, it helps you create realistic characters and settings because it is believable. And so the world building kind of creates yeah. that foundation in a way. And it can be either like the physical landscape. It can be a religious sect. It could be like a language that's spoken. It, world building can really encompass a lot of things for creating your world. So that's what, that's what I think of when it comes to world building. Do you remember the video game Spore? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that. When that game came out, I remember it was supposed to be like, you know, revolutionary, right? In the in the right. in in the way it approached things. And I gotta look up I, like it's been a while. Oh, I know, I know. I'd love to see that. Um, I right. So when I think of world building, mm -hmm. that is the 
the very like, probably the very first time that I heard the term was probably in the context of video games. So this is before I knew anything about marketing, before I thought deeply about what it would be like to write fiction, let alone nonfiction or anything, um, was probably with video games. And so my first, so when I just think of, you know, what maybe I would have used to have thought world building or, or it's what I, what would have came to mind immediately when someone said the word world building would probably be like what happens when somebody is building a video game because especially in like you know there's free for all adventure wander around yeah. games like where you've got little things that you can do that are maybe not necessarily part of the main mission or whatever um i, I just think of what it takes to build literally a world where all of those sorts of little things are possible is i think just really um fantastic it's like one of the games that i've been really into lately is starlink atlas which is a, a star fox uh game or at least on the on the um on the switch it is and it's um um it's just really cool because yeah you've got the main mission that you're doing but like all along the way there's like little side missions and and and, and many things that are like they're not pertinent to the main story but they but they are consistent with it and they plug into it nicely and it just feels so seamless and so mm -hmm. I, I think it's just really impressive to me that, that somebody is smart enough to create <laughs> an entire world um, of fiction. And it, I, I mean, obviously it's cool with books, right? Because you can, right. you, you can place yourself there. Um, like you mentioned with Tolkien and, and, and the Cimmerillion and stuff, like you can really get into it. But I especially think it's cool with video games because not only do you get into it, but you actually... I don't, you can't really say physically interact with it, but you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you actually interact with it digitally, but you actually interact with it. I definitely want to have a podcast sometime talking specifically about video games. I know we both love video games and I'm, I'm making yeah. one. So as far as being immersed in that world and the different, how that affects you playing with it. But as far as it, the video games are a perfect example of world building, um, especially when, as it relates to um, fantasy, uh, uh, thinking specifically of RPGs like the Elder Scrolls, Oblivion, Skyrim. Oh, yeah. So a, a player can go in that game, act crazy, chaotic, don't read any of the books or learn any of the history and just go and have fun. But then you have people right. who want to read like the diaries and the journals laying around and know, understand this village and all the history <laughs> that the Elder Scrolls encompasses. And so for a writer, it's a little bit more challenging. So a video game might have, I don't know, anywhere between like 20 and a couple hundred people working on a video game so you have all these people you know you really have one person dedicated to forming the lore of the story or maybe even two or three and they write these passages and books that go into it for those people that want to discover more and dig deep into the world building of it for a writer you don't really have that luxury you write a book and you kind of have to either go tokens way and write a Silmarillion that is just pure history of the world and you know says how the world got built or um you kind of you take the route which is the better way it, well at least i guess that's an opinion but it's <laughs> it's usually the better way of just writing a story with good characters that obviously has some world building into it you have to have that to have some realism and just understand what's happening uh, but yeah video games kind of can offer both routes depending on the genre so it's a it's an interesting interesting take mm -hmm. on it yeah, I, I heard um, we talk a lot about Brandon Sanderson just because he's such a uh, influential fiction writer and, um, and he shares his knowledge and he's one of your favorites. And mm -hmm. he writes in the same genre that you really 
are spending a lot of time in. And um, so he's got some lectures on YouTube about world building. And um, this has been months ago now that I watched uh, one of them. I don't think I watched, I think there's more than one, but I think I only watched one. Yeah. Of them. And one of the things that stuck with me that he said was this concept of depth. Like you don't necessarily like, like for example, the Cimmerillion might itself be one of the best examples that you could point to of like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, uh, on their own, I think would have been sufficient, right? In this, in the sense that the sense that they they sort of did the job of giving the illusion of the world that is described in the Cimmerillion, but then the Cimmerillion just goes ahead and goes to that place, and it, it goes there yeah, and really, sure. it really explains you know the inner workings of, of of that world, that history. But but right, like, like I mean, obviously. Unless you're just going to bank your entire writing life right around one particular world, which I suppose you could do, yeah. um, it, it does seem to make sense to me that you can you can you can find sort of a nice a nice depth that I you know kind of picture like the iceberg you know the picture of the iceberg you might find if you Google iceberg wallpapers or whatever where it's like the tip of the iceberg is on top of the water and then. A huge iceberg is underneath yes. the water. I think as long as you just give the illusion that that iceberg is is you know continues down, then you're probably the good in most cases. The illusion is enough. I, I would say, I'll, you know, pretty much near all the time in certain circumstances. Like for instance, in Sanderson's book, um, they uh, um, women in certain areas will wear um, a glove over one of their hands, and it's it's kind of like the same thing as like uh, women today, like wearing skirts or covering themselves up. So if like a man in that society sees uh, happens to see a girl with their glove off, it's like they blush and they get, you know, it's, it's inappropriate. And, and he never explains why that is. It's just how that culture is. And, but the readers don't need to know why they just know, oh, that's part of that civilization and it works. So that's like an area where there's realism there. That's a culture. That's a real civilization. There's a reason for that. That's how people behave. But then obviously there's other areas in the main story where he does want to provide a background something about the history of a race and maybe uh, like a God that they worship or how the God interacted with them and slowly bringing that in. So obviously there's main things that you do want to bring into the reader at a time. Sometimes it's a big dump and you blow the reader's mind. Other times it's smaller things um, that's, but it always kind of follows the plot and moves, advances the plot and characters. Is there anything, you know, this is just my curiosity here because again, <laughs> you dove into it from a fictional standpoint, whereas I, I haven't as much. Is there is there anything to like? Let's take the white love thing as an example. Mm -hmm. um, would that device be there intentionally for purposes of maybe curiosity or drawing people in, or like you know? Because what I'm thinking of is is it seems to me that like if you have little unexplained things like that that like you kind of like let me just give an example from something i know star trek okay <laughs> it, star trek right started in what the 70s and all throughout the entire life of the series it it was just assumed that somehow right aliens from distant planets in the deep space and everywhere else could speak English. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? You had, you had, right. Cause, 
they always moved their mouths the right way. They always spoke English, right? Because it was to an English audience. It was kind of like how, yeah. And and you heard you would hear, like the Universal Translator, be referred to, like rarely. Okay, so this is like the white glove, right? Is you you would you would hear about the Universal Translator, but there was never any like, what is that? How did it come about? Who invented it? Why, you know, why, like, like, what was the context there? Finally, in the Enterprise series in the early 2000s, you literally got to see them, like, you know, literally the person begin to develop the universal translator, right? She was this mm-hmm. language specialist who, like, knew, like, you know, tons of languages and understood the patterns. And so she was helping the early days of Starfleet, the early days of the Federation. Like, she was actually helping them make these connections with these alien races. And then from sort of as they met more people and integrated more languages, like the patterns became so broad and predictable right. that you could basically use this universal translator to communicate with literally any species right. um, or alien or, or, or whatever. But you didn't learn that until, you know, 30 years of this, of the series being in existence. And so I, I, I just kind of wonder, you know, is, is like, that's a element for me that was always just a curious thing that just kept me like, I always, it's, it's almost like I kept watching because one day I was hoping to get the answer and maybe I never right. would. I don't, I don't know. But I just I, wonder if that's ever intentionally used as a device. I think things Here. like that. And I got to say this. I said white glove. They they might use other color gloves. I forget too. But anyway, I just wanted to, I just thought of that. I, now I'm curious if they use other sure. color gloves or if it's just white. I might have to read all books again and just to find that out. But anyway, <laughs> um, I don't think um, it should be used or is used. Um as a marketing way or something interesting to catch a reader's attention, I think it's more to create that realism. So let me give you an example. I've never traveled in Europe, but I just heard that if you travel over there and you order food at a restaurant, they give smaller portions than in the United States. Um, I never like read a book on why or dug down deep into why, even though there's probably a reason. So if you go all around the world and there's different cultures where sometimes that's just how things are. You go over anywhere in Europe, and I think Asia too, they just drive on the opposite side of the road. Well, no one's going to pull up a, well, I probably would pull up a Google and ask why, and I have before, but you know, you don't need a history on that to understand that that culture is different. So just having those differences in a book, especially from a reader's perspective. So if you're switching different characters and say, if one of the main characters enters into a different city that he's unfamiliar with. Um, and then he sees, um, maybe buggies with, um, big like canopies roofs on top and where he's from, they're all open and he's thinking why, and maybe that could be a traditional thing. It could signify the people riding the carriage. So it's more or less to just, I think it just creates realism in the world. To be honest, I've thought other things in my book now, sometimes, um, what's really great is when you can have those unique stuff also, um, affect or integrate in like with the story. And if, if you can integrate the two, then that's fantastic. But even just having something random like that, that you just think, oh, I think it'd be kind of cool if this culture had this, and this is probably why, and that's good enough. You know, you don't really have to think too much, go into too much history on why the women wear gloves. He probably thought of it in five minutes and then thought, yep, that's good. I'm going to put that in the book. <laughs> yeah. I, I like too. Um, and that makes sense to me. Uh, I'm thinking back to now Dune when you and I watched that. I, I've been dying to watch it again. I, I know, me too. I know. I know. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, um, um, and, and so I, it's it's like, well, Star Wars does this too. It's interesting, like, 
at the, in the very intro, I remember in the very intro of Dune, um, you know, they had to take about five minutes or so to ex- to kind of catch you up. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In the world, right? Because there was so much, you know, it's kind of like you you couldn't just start from the total clean slate of the world that like you're walking into or walking out of, you know, it's almost like if you're walking into the movie theater, like you're at that point, you're almost walking into a new world and leaving the old world behind. And so there has to be like this moment of bridge yeah. of the gap to get you used to it. Yeah. Um, does the Lord of the Rings do anything like that? I can't, I can't remember. I'm not sure. Yeah. So it, in the movie, yeah, the movie has a really big intro. Um, that talks about the rings being made. Galadriel's talking. And That's right. Okay. In the book, I think I think the book has an introduction like that too. But also, the book is kind of written as like a historical account. And right. so, Tolkien will like in his book like say, "This is why this is," and the Rohirrim, you know, you know, had this banner because of, I mean, I'm just using yeah. just things on the top of my head. But he'll like say why something is, even though the characters might not necessarily know it, because he's telling the reader. This is why. Yeah. So he does quite a bit of world willing throughout his books as well. Yeah. That's fascinating. How about from the marketing side of things, Steve? What is world building to you? It's well, probably totally yeah. different than this. <laughs> because it just so happened to have here the manual on world book. Now, um, so it's, it, it, I just happened to remember, which I'm glad I did in my February edition of my, um, magnetic marketing letter the no bs magnetic marketing letter which <laughs> everyone everyone should have um they the, the the concept they spoke about was creating customers for life and um um part of that has to do with communication now they don't call it in this resource anyway that it's not called world building but that's what they're talking right. about um and, uh, but there are other marketers, uh, Ben Settle is a good example. Um, there are other marketers who will go ahead and use the terminology. Now it just so happens that Ben Settle is also a fiction writer. Um, so he is a, a bono marketer and a, and a fiction writer. And so he's sort of able to cross those two worlds, um, and, and, and sort of, you know, let you in, um, one of the examples. So this is, uh, this is written by Dan Kennedy. Um, and I've talked about him a couple of times on the, on the podcast and um, he oftentimes in the examples that that he'll give whenever he's, um, you know, speaking on stage or whatever about this concept, he'll often refer to brands like Disney and Apple as great examples of actually doing world building. Um, and what's really interesting about that is it's actually happening to you, whether or not you realize it. And especially with Disney, it's kind of cool because it's happening in two ways, right? Because Disney is built on an on a empire of fiction. And yet the job of their, of their theme parks is to sort of bring you into that world, right? So when you, when you, when you enter into a Disney theme park, you leave the real world and you're now in, in the world that Disney has created for you. Right. And it's, we've talked about some of this before as well, you know, even, you know, you are literally being manipulated the entire time through smell, through visual design, through you could even say deception if you wanted to if you wanted to put it in cast it in its worst light. You know, for for example, there are yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like like, like one example of that is the is the is the castle. Um that I'm gonna I'm probably gonna get the specifics of this wrong, but it's something like this. So just don't don't take don't quote me exactly here. Sound. 
Good deal. Well, it's something to the effect of like the tall, like as as the bricks on the castle in Magic Kingdom, as as they get towards the top of the castle, the bricks are made. I think it's longer. The bricks are longer at the top than at the bottom because it gives the illusion that the castle is taller than you think it is. Um, it, just all kinds of stuff, like like little stuff like that, that has been very intentionally designed. And so and so this is this is a part of world building. Now, as as it gets to specifically into marketing, it has a lot to do with personality and with. Um, with character. So like, I'm just going to give you, and, and I'll discuss a little bit of, of each of these. I'm just going to give you, so that the actual main headline here of what he's talking about is a personality and character driven business dissected, right? So he's talking about when you have a business that is based on a character and what Russell Brunson calls an attractive character, um, you've, you sort of have a couple of things. So first, um, it's just that there does need to be a character, right? A, a guru, a hero, a leader. You know, I mean, Steve Jobs had Apple, right? Disney's got Walt. You know that 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 kind of thing, right? There has to be somebody to um, to follow after a protagonist. Okay. Um, they also have like legend, right? So there, there, the there are stories, not necessarily that the character tells right that's coming um but there are there are legends there are stories surrounding the character like for example steve jobs never like told the story of how he was a total butthead to his employee <laughs> right. but that's part of the steve jobs lore right like you know because of what people have said about him um you know that if you were around steve it was pretty intense Right. And so so there there is there is legend. And in fact, I, I underlined this. Some characters are so great that everybody knows the legend, even if they don't pay attention to the character. Um here's so some examples he says, um uh, and, and some additional things here are parables. Right. So so parables are basically stories that the guru or the hero or the leader teaches in order to cement his thoughts and beliefs about the world. I mean, obviously the easiest example here is to, is to point back to uh, Jesus. Um, right. But, but, it, you know, being a person who, who told stories to teach what he wanted to teach. Um, and everybody kind of understands what a, what a parable is. And so, right. This is, if you go back to our marketing podcast episode that we had, I talked a lot about story selling, right? So storytelling in your marketing and then story selling in your sales. And so when, when you tell your parables, your stories over and over and over again in your podcasts and your blogs and your YouTubes and your guest things and your whatever, when you're, when you have that character driven business and you keep telling your stories over and over again, that gets cemented into the minds of, uh, of people and the lessons that they're trying to teach you become more than information. They become very memorable. So is, is the world building then kind of, I guess, trying to create the image that you want people to think when they hear your company or your product? Like, for instance, like when I hear, when I hear the word Tesla, I actually don't even think of Nikola Tesla. I think of, I think of Elon Musk and yeah. I think of him and his, he's just kind of a funny looking guy. It just, you know, this is just 
kind of a little something awkward about him. But I usually think of him in an interview, kind of like doing a weird smirk about something. And then I picture like a rocket blasting off. And I think about the AI technology behind the cars. And then I usually think about how it wasn't that long ago that they were really nowhere and then they just boom, got popular. So all that stuff just kind of fuzzed me in the span of a couple seconds. So is that kind of what you're getting at? Like it's what the persona you want people to think of when they hear you. Yes. So from page 10 of the exact (laughs) same letter. And I quote, the most (laughs) valuable car company is Tesla. I think currently its market valuation is equivalent to Ford, GM, and Chrysler added together. And why? That's it. There's no investment fundamentals to argue for it. It is so because of Elon Musk. And what do the other companies not have? They don't have Elon Musk. They've all got electric cars. And they're pumping out more models, more variety, more selection. Ford's got electric trucks. Furthermore, they have got a dealership network, which Musk does not have. They have service departments, which Musk does not have, which is a problem. As we record this, he just re- uh, recalled 500,000 Teslas and they can't be fixed by sending him to a computer chip. You know, they got to be fixed by a real person. Um, some other companies have a lot of stuff that Tesla doesn't have, but they don't have a Musk. There's nobody on Twitter. Nobody having a big, like, Steve Jobs reveal event. Nobody. And what's important is not only that don't they have that, but Musk has a philosophy. It's a little random. It's a little erratic, but he has ideas he's talking about, not just cars. And pretty much everything he's doing is visible. There aren't many real secrets to it. But here's the key. But now go to a local market. Go to Boise or go to Cleveland or even go to a bigger market. Go to L.A. and find me a local car dealer who is playing the game the way Musk is playing the game. You won't find one. You just won't. And that's dumb, end quote. Right? So, so, uh, right. When, when you... When you create a persona, right? Now, some people are just naturally interesting. Other right. people have to sort of be interesting, right? You can't, it's like the number one rule here. You can't be boring, right? You sort of have to, to, to either be interesting naturally or, or fabricate an interesting dynamic, you know, of your, of your character. Um, but, but, right, Tesla is not just, it's not just a good car, right? When somebody buys a Tesla, they're buying into Elon Musk. They're yeah. buying, they're, right? They're buying into the spaceman's vision, right? Mm-hmm. Into the, we're going to freaking colonate Mars. It's interesting because like if, I, if you go out, obviously it's a long time ago. And so it, it makes sense. But at the same time, it's odd how if I go out and say, if I wanted to buy a Ford F-150 or something, I'm not buying it because of Henry Ford. I buy it because of its utility or something. But you're right. I mean, there are other reasons why I want to buy a Tesla, but the main reason is because they're so cool. And I want to be kind of a part of that company. Like feel like I'm, and really invested in it and it's uh it's it's obviously it's it's pretty clear that to successfully build your world um with marketing for either your company yourself having that person is extremely critical and at the very least useful so what happens if elon musk dies tomorrow or right get gets old fades away or goes crazy and leaves the company does what happens to that world building that Tesla has gone uh, really wholly because of Elon Musk? Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic question. It may be answered a little bit more by, by some of the things that I have to say coming up here, mm-hmm. okay. but, 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 but there is a practical example you can look to. Steve Jobs died in 2011. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's still accurate that Apple is the, is the highest yeah. valued company on the planet right now. Yeah. Right. So a good, I mean, Walt, I mean, my God, Walt Disney mm-hmm. died in the eighties or seventies. What I think it was like the late seventies. Right. And no, it was, it was probably the eighties. I can't remember exactly, but, but the, the vision, the vision that Walt had was so big and so gigantic and the lore so great that, and, and, and right and the world so great that it was able to extend beyond him. As long as it's put in the care of someone who understands mm. the vision. Now, Disney's an interesting example. Um, and I'm a huge Disney fan. So we'll try not to be here for three hours. But Disney's a good example. And I might have mentioned this before, but it's worth reiterating. They, Epcot, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, the initial vision for Epcot was not the Epcot that you go see today in, in Disney. Right? The initial vision for Epcot was to be a self-contained community of tomorrow where basically you you came into the city and the city was it was like it was designed it had a certain design around it that would that would make it an optimal kind of community all the transportation was done underground right so and so it wasn't so there was no interruption or whatever like the idea was basically Walt wanted to take the very best of american industry and see if we could literally create, you know, s- sort of little mini utopias. Um, and and so, so a city like Charlotte near us, for example, instead of being, you know, the way it is now, just basically a big overgrown conglomeration of a small town where stuff just kept getting globbed onto it and globbed onto it. And then certain areas go by the wayside because they're not well maintained. And, you know, I mean, it's the story of every big city. It's why all the big, we just came from Atlanta this weekend. You know, it's why Atlanta is, is, you know, one block looks great and the next block mm-hmm. looks like a freaking dump. Um, because it, 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 because stuff is happening to it versus the vision of the of the community happening to the people within it. That's and so yeah, and so Walt wanted to, to turn that around. Now what's interesting is when Walt died, um, even though other people understood what he was trying to do, um, nobody else, even Roy, Disney, his brother, nobody thought that they would be able to see the vision through and do what Walt really wanted justice. So what they decided to do was instead make Epcot the theme park um, to to be a place where people came to experience the vision of the future and to to understand Earth's past, Earth's present, and then the potential future of the Earth. And so that so that and then. So half of it, it's called Future World. Half of it is this, which which they're, they're doing a lot of updating to now. Thank God, because it was kind of like you know, for, <laughs> for a while. Well, for a while, it was really like, you know, the, it's like it's like you would go into like the Tomorrow, you know, land, you know, the like the like the the area where it was supposed to be like this this big innovation, like these innovations, and like 
you know, at the time it was in 2015 was, was the last time I was there. <laughs> I mean, I was literally wearing stuff on my right. right. more advanced than some of what they were talking about. So yeah. like everybody knows it needs an update. So they've been updating it. Thankfully I haven't been back yet, but I, I, I want to go. So anyway, half of it is devoted to like what the future would, would be like theoretically. And then the other half is devoted to what's called the world showcase, um, which is basically like, you know, puts, you know, most of the main countries of the world that you're, you, you France and Germany and, you know, Great Britain and all of that, it, it kind of gives you little mini countries that you go around this, the, the lake and this world showcase. And, um, right. And so, so the idea is just to, the, the idea was to extend Walt's vision. And, and so when they finally opened up, I think it was the Magic Kingdom in the 80s that they were opening up. And, um, you know, the reporter comes and, and asks Roy, you know, what do you think about, you know, Walt missing this, you know, like, like what a shame that Walt died before he got to see it. You know, what do you think he'd say or whatever? And, and he told the reporter like, well, you know, the problem is, is that you got this all backwards. He's like, Walt already saw this. Like he saw all of this already. You only get to see it now because he saw it then. Hmm. And, um, and so, and so that was a very long answer to your question. If Elon dies tomorrow, that would be a shame. Number one, N number two, I think he has done enough work to cast the vision that if somebody responsibly carried it on from this point, I, I think it could be, I think it could be done. Um, but you know, the, the frustrating thing about people like Musk is he's one of those who doesn't even try to be honest. He's just naturally interesting because of where his mind goes, yeah. right? Like, like, you know, he'll get on Joe Rogan or just whatever. And, and, and he's, he's just a, a he smart just dude yeah. who's just interested in, I mean, he wants to, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he started a freaking space company to, to populate Mars. And if you listen to him talk, he's like, you know, whenever people even talk about this grand stuff or whatever about, you know, like you might even think about it as world building type stuff. He's just kind of like, oh, I'm just like, I, I don't even make a, a lot of, you know, I mean, obviously he does make a lot of money, but it's mostly in stops and shares and stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know, he's like, it's not, I'm not in it for that. You know, I work long hours and whatever, because I truly want to make a difference. Um, so, so does that answer the question? I, I think it could be right. Disney and Apple are really two really good examples of yeah. the vision can be, if, if in the right hands, the vision can be carried beyond the initial character. Um, that so that's that's one way to think about it one way i've heard russell put it too is a lot of times your clients in in a services-based business or whatever you're like your clients could eventually become the attractive character it's like a it's almost like an evolution like like mm. when you start you know when you get started a lot of times you're talking about yourself and your own stories and then you you sort of make a natural transition to sharing stories of your clients and customers and then depending on the kind of work you're doing, where it gets like really crazy is when you can start sharing about the results and the success of your clients, clients or your customers, customer. Um, and that's kind of where it gets, I don't know, it gets a little crazy, but it gets, but it gets kind of cool. Um, real quick, cause we've been talking about this for a while. So, so right. You've got legend, you've got parables. Another thing you have is miracles, right? The guru has to be known for making some kind of miracle happen. I totally think this fits the, you know, the Musk scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like the dude, the dude figured out how to make rockets reusable. And he's, what he's working on right now is trying to figure out the situation where a spaceship takes 
some people to orbit or to, to wherever it needs to go, comes back and is ready to go for another launch in three hours. That's what he's crazy right now. And right. And so that, that's the idea. Like, like, right. He's making miracles happen. And so usually the guru in whatever business or whatever is going to be known for some kind of miraculous turnaround or, 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 or whatever. Um, this is a big one. This is a big one. Insider language. Okay. Anytime you have a world building character based business, you're going to have insider language. You're going to have things that are known only to people in the world that are not necessarily known to people outside of the world. Um, Starbucks has done this very, very well, right? Starbucks has their own language. They have their own world, right? Like you can't go into Starbucks and order a large coffee. They'll look at you like you're crazy because you're there to get a venti, right? Like that's the thing. Like you've got insider language that you can use to get people removed from the world they're coming from and into the world that you have. Uh, Tolkien, and um, I, I feel like we're going to just say his name differently every time now as a joke. Yep, we are. Uh, but Tolkien, whatever. Um, Middle Earth. That's insider language, right? Like whenever anybody says, like, so Dr. Mike Heiser, who you and I have talked about before, mm -hmm. um, he he refers to certain branches of Christian weird belief as Christian Middle Earth. You'll hear him use that terminology, mm -hmm. right? And so everybody who's familiar with Tolkien which is so many people like, I mean, cause Lord of the Rings, especially with the movie and it's just, it's so popular that most people know they get the reference of middle earth, but it's insider language. And so you can actually like that language has become so, um, gripping and so full of meaning that you can literally just say something like Christian middle earth. And you sort of like, you sort of get an idea for what that might mean based on your perception of what middle earth is. And so, that's uh, really important. And then, um, oh, this is a good line to underscore all of that. People behave fundamentally the same wherever they are. They want to be in the other place. And so this is about creating a place through insider language that when someone reads it and hears it, they no longer feel like an outsider. Right? So you're bringing people in. You're making them feel like they belong. You know, Disney's got magic bands. You go in, you know what, like if, you, you're, if you know what a magic band is and does, you're in the know. Right. If you don't know what it is and does, you're not in the know. So it's very important to to create that in order to make a distinction between the worlds. And then sort of the the final two things that they list here are dogma and testimony. So dogma is the foundation, the fundamental beliefs, the the laws, the principles, the rules. Um, great characters stand for things and stand against things. And a good example of this is Basecamp. Um, I use a software tool called Basecamp. Basecamp is also the name of the company. And they started out as a web design business in 1999. And now today they still run a strong product business and their authors are known. I would say dogma is one of the biggest things that they have going for them. They share their ideas. They clearly stay, state what they're against and what they're for. Um, and that draws a particular kind of person to them and has staying power and loyalty and you begin to even adopt their language they do insider language very well um also okay and then finally testimony so people who are running around singing praises of the character and the miracles that they have created for them so uh, again it has to be a character he'll have some legend associated with him um he's going to tell parables 
There's going to be miracle stories associated with him. Um, there will be insider language, dogma, and testimony. So those are sort of the things in marketing that you can use to create a world. And again, there's more to it that you can go to at different angles, but those are like the core fundamental elements that as you're trying to build a world in marketing, you should, you should intentionally be trying to do those things. That's interesting. Um, I, uh, the connection that I'm making, how I was trying to look at like similarities, because we're talking about, really, we're kind of talking about two different things. When I talk about world, but I'm talking about how you create a literal world in your fantasy building. You're talking about um, creating a world based on um, what people think about when they think about your company or your person or your product. And, but the similarity is interesting as far as like where you were saying, when you go into a Starbucks, you don't order a large, you order a Benti. And so I, I usually still will just order a large cause I don't care, but stepping into that, someone who's actually serious about ordering correctly will step in and be like, oh, I'm at, and think I'm at Starbucks. I'm going to order a Benti cause that's what I want. And it places you in that world. And, and so the similarities that I see is. At least for me, I think a lot of uh, fantasy readers is when they pick up a book and read it, they want to feel like that they're a part of that world and that world is real to them. At least that's what really captures me. I know it captures a lot of um, readers too, is they don't want to see a flat setting, flat characters. They want to be able to read it and say, wow, I'm like, okay, here I am. I'm fully fleshed in it when I open up that book. Um, just some similarities yeah. out of there. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there are, right. I mean, you definitely have to, there are definite similarities, you know, for, for example, like a dogma, let's say dogma, right? Like, like any, when you're in, in Tolkien's universe, there are rules, there are laws. You talk about magic systems there, right? There are, there are boundaries that I've heard Sanderson talk about this, right? That there are boundaries that like, like he wants to make sure to intentionally create rules and laws and things because if we just, if anybody could just violate it any time, then it's no, it's not real. Like it doesn't feel real. Okay. Um, and so, um, so, you know, a good example of that level of immersion is I mentioned the base camp guys. So like, you know, one of the things that they're known for is taking a stand against like meeting culture, right? So they believe in asynchronous communication and they built their tool to support that. Right. And so it's like, you know, in one of their books, you're going to come across a chapter that the, the, the title of the chapter is meetings are toxic. Right. And so now what's the point? Well, anybody can say that, but these guys say it believe it, live it, and even build their tool to support it, right? To support asynchronous communication instead of, you know, constantly being bogged down with meetings. And why is that? Well, it's because they believe that employees are ultimately the most productive when they are given uninterrupted long stretches of time to do great work. Uh, and so- Side note there, I was in a two-hour meeting the other day at work and- it, it, it won't it drain you it and the, legit drain you. and the whole time i was thinking this is two hours worth of work that i'm not doing right now exactly <laughs> how expensive is that for the business owner like my oh God. my goodness you know? especially you know? for the dough they're paying me oh man steve right i'm telling you <laughs> um yeah, it's interesting like you were talking about the company and um how they you know that's what that's what they're complaining that's what they that's what they do the first company that i worked for was Georgia Pacific, who's owned by Coke, not C-O-K-E, but K-O-C-H. And they have, honestly, I forget what it's called now, but they have this business model in there where they used terminology referencing 
like principled entrepreneurship in like different decision-making, just different concepts that are normal words that we all use, but they applied it different way. And they, there were people that were, that are hired, their job in Coke is to go around to all the plants in the company and give seminars on the mindset of the company and how they think. And it, so I remember I had, I flew out to the Coke headquarters and for a, like a training thing for a lot of like newer, younger employees. And it was all, um, and not even, not in a cultic way at all, but just a very like, um, here is what the company believes and here's how we think about business. And here is, and it, it, it was own little world. So by the end of it, if someone were to walk in, in the middle of it and just kind of her talking, they'd, they'd kind of be lost just, just by the terminology and lingo and the application. So I definitely see what you mean. And it felt kind of cool. Like, oh, this is like, we're all like in this mindset together of how we approach business. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, right. So you're, so, so yeah, of course it looks different. Like, like again, the dogma of base camp might be meetings are toxic. Whereas the dogma in Brandon Sanderson's world is whatever they wear colored gloves and that, right. But, but, but it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of thing. So like I, I like, for example, me, I have a belief myself that taking um like i have the belief that that meetings are toxic like i don't like meetings yeah i'm I'm the same way right but but see for me i have that belief because i'm part of this world that has this belief and so like for me to just love meetings would be out of character or out of step with this with this world that they have created that i am in now it just so happens that like there are other like for example um um one of the things that they take a stand on is that they're really against taking VC money, right? Venture capital is is bad. Interesting. Scrap is better. And so it's interesting that Russell Brunson is also like really big in that camp. And, and, and so it's really interesting. Like you tend to be around people who hold those, like once you're in one of their worlds, you sort of like, you, you, you find yourself to be more compatible with people who have similar elements in their world. Hmm. Uh, and and so it is. So it is a powerful concept, and I think it is a related concept, even if even if it looks a little different in terms of uh, creating it. But I think there are still. I mean, it's like you could. Uh, I, I'm just remembering back to that lecture of, of Brandon Sanderson's that I was listening to when he was talking about some of the different elements. I think that you could you could pull, and sometimes it may be abstract, but you could probably go through all of the different elements of world building that he listed, which I'm pretty sure. It was like him and his students, and they were like brainstorming and writing it on the whiteboard. And there was like 40 different aspects of building a world that he was talking about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you could probably do something very similar and and even find relation between those concepts as to how you could do it in the real world. Because what you're talking about doing, make no mistake, is, I mean, it's easier when you have a physical location like Disney, you know, then you can, then right. you can really, but even if you don't have that, you're just, you're just bringing them into your world through information and content marketing. It's still, it's still very, very, uh, possible. And, and like one of the simple ways to do that is just to take frameworks and and repackage them as your own. For example, when you come into my world, you know what crest is because I'm going to talk about it. Now, nobody else, like no other marketer has this, even if they do similar things, because it's, it's my thing, right? It's my process. It's my, 
thing that I do with clients is take people through a conversion-based website, review and reputation management, email marketing, smart content, targeted advertising. That's my way. That's my framework that repackages what other people talk about, but talks, talking about it in a way that makes people resonate with me. And so just even putting your, it's kind of like you mentioned with, with George Pacific and, and Coke, like even just putting your own names on things that are well-known concepts is a way to do this. So it, it gets really interesting, but, but that's from a marketing perspective in general, that's what I think of when I think of world building is intentionally crafting these different elements that, 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 that attract people to you and then make them stay for long periods of time. We've already talked about selling yourself. So I guess it kind of goes, it kind of crosses over, but man, the same principles can be applied to just you and your personal life, whether it's to uh, help further your career or how you want peers to understand you, but just being as purposeful as you can uh, and not in a fake way, but in a real way of communicating with people, the world that you want to present to people of who you are and how you operate. Um, totally. It just seems like it just, just transfers over there completely. Well, right. No, I mean, it, it totally does. And this is where I think people are like, like, I think there might be a danger of somebody thinking, oh my gosh, world building, that sounds like such a hard thing to do. Well, you kind of do it naturally. I think it's, it's harder to do if you're thinking about it, you know, intentionally, but it's like, you know, for me, part of the world I've built is a world in which things like the ketogenic diet get talked about, you know, music is going to come up a lot in my world. Marketing is going to come up a lot in my world. And so I, I attract people to me who are interested in those things. And I repel people who are not interested in those things. Nobody is coming to me to talk about basketball or football or baseball. It ain't going to happen because they know that like that that's not my world, but people who can talk music and theology, Bible and, and you know, and marketing, like these are people who are going to be drawn to me because that's the kind of person I've set myself up and, as. It's the same thing. And I don't do this. I'm just saying it because it's just a good idea. I think we all should, but get the people who are close to your life, obviously your spouse, but like any close um, friends as well, especially in, or even people that are getting to know you and say, Hey, like, you know, when, when you think, when you think of me, what, what do you think of me? You know, what? Yeah what comes across your mind just to get, I mean, you do that in the business when you're trying to market things and try to create that, you know, that brand and that world. And then also like in a writing group, I'm sure maybe Brandon Sanderson just sends it off to his editor, but at least authors starting out want to have a few family members read it and say, Hey, does, how does this sound? Does this seem believable? Does this seem real? Yeah, um, so, sure. yeah I think, I don't think maybe that's a topic for another time, but just asking people what they think of your story, you know, your story, cause it's in your mind. But how often do you sit down and tell purposely tell people what story is in your head? People might have a different outlook on your life story and who you are. And right. Oh, just an interesting thought. Yeah, no, no, it is interesting. It, it, it all just, I don't know, it all just kind of ties together. It's like, you know, again, I'll just, you know, kind of reiterate this, that, that the, the world is built on stories. Mm-hmm. It just is right. That's why we're talking about. This. Yes, absolutely. You know? and, and so it's, 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 it's no surprise to me that intentionally doing this for your business works because it works in your life. It works in your entertainment. You know, it works in fiction. It works in video games. It works in all these places. Why wouldn't it work in your business too? So that's, that's the way that, uh, but most people don't think of it that way. Um, so that's why it's important. I think this has been a really good and helpful episode. Even with no, no, yeah, there. 
I know, I know. I kind of like this though. I really, I because I thought about things that I probably wouldn't have thought about if I was taking notes. Just off the yeah, being curious. Yeah, this, sometimes the note structure helps a little bit, but I think this was a yeah, this was a really good one and all off the fly. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Should we do stories of the week? Are we ready for that? Or do you have you any other thoughts? On I don't. No, I think I'm sure that we'll probably have another podcast on the road specifically about like dedicated to fictional world building and how, how I do it. And then another one for you. But uh, I, so I think my thoughts are good on that. You can go first because I have to think of my story of the week. I actually haven't thought of it. So go. Oh, gotcha. But I'm okay, sure cool. something. Cool. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I uh, let's see. So I'll pick this one. Um, I've got a running list of them. Um. Um. Elon Musk, since we're, we're talking about him. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I thought it was cool that, you know, unfortunately, you know, as we're recording this, there's this whole conflict going on uh, with Russia and Ukraine, and they're in the middle of war right now, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I, I think it was legit on social media that people called out for Elon Musk to support Ukraine um, as they were losing their internet. Um with his Starlink satellites. Mm -hmm. And um, if you don't know, Starlink is a attempt at creating a global satellite-based internet system such that you could literally get internet pretty much anywhere in the world, right? That's just one of the interesting things that Musk wants to do. And so they, they all the time, these launches that they send up have like 50 satellites in them. And, uh, and they're launching these things all the time. And uh, so Musk did it, right? I mean, he legit, sent his satellites over there. Now, my understanding is, I don't know for sure that he made them active. I think there was something about, like, he was only, he was positioning them and going to be ready to make them active if he absolutely needed to. Um, but it just kind of, well, number one, it's, a, it, I mean, it's a cool humanitarian story. Um, but it's also just a, in my opinion, a, a raw, raw capitalism kind of story, you know, where- Well, like, I was just going to say, um, it, all he had to do was snap his fingers and it was done. Right. <laughs> like that's right there's right. no it's, change exactly. holding it back or things you had to go through it's oh i want to help these people with this yeah it's done well it's really interesting you know people talk about social programs and the rich and, and whatever you know people just don't realize that it, you know the people with the with the money and the power like that have the ability to do actual good in the world and they often do it they, they're just unsung heroes a lot of the time right and so it's like yeah. right like like call him whatever call him a greedy capitalist or or whatever but because of his work and because of his position elon musk could just be like freak yeah i'll send you some satellites snaps his finger I, and there's satellites oh, positioned over ukraine ready to go to give internet to people who need it when I, they need it i think his i think the tweet that he sent back literally said done <laughs> exactly and then exactly. like and then when it arrived like the next day or something he said you know you know like uh, all is good all is done you're you're all set and and, the, and then they work. That's the thing is they work too. And so they, they got it. So. Exactly. That was a really it, cool story. I think it's neat. I, I think it's neat. And I think it's just, yeah, I mean, I believe in the power of, 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 of capitalism and the free market, yada, yada, yada. Yep. I believe it. I believe in it because it's helpful and it helps a lot of people uh, when, it, when in the right hands. That's a good story. Um, so mine, um, I'm actually really excited. So I grew up in Maine. And soccer wasn't too big up there. It's bigger down south. I remember when I went to college in Florida, um, soccer was really big down there. Um, there is the New England Revolution team in Boston. Never got a chance to go and watch them. It was three and a half, four hour drive away. But now living close to Charlotte, they got Charlotte FC that just had their opening night. 
And it was really cool. There are several videos of usually soccer state. Um, they usually play in football stadiums and they're usually like half full while, um, the opening night, it was packed. Every seat was sold out and they had like fireworks go off at the start of it. And it was just really exciting. So, um, I guess not much of a story per se, but just, uh, really excited that there's a local, you know, excited, you know, area for soccer. And uh, hopefully to go watch them play at some point. But it was cool. Uh, the video showing everyone singing the national anthem. I'm not too big on like national loyalty uh, to the hardcoreness that some people are. But it was just cool seeing everyone together and enjoying their time and singing out. And it was just really neat. So are you so so you're a soccer fan? Yeah, I did not know that. It's no, so not not like, to the extent of like some people. Like I want to be into it more. Um, but yeah, especially in college is when Man. I, I played it a little bit as a kid, but not too much, but, um, especially in, um, college, I really got into it a lot. Well, I went, right. So, so, I mean, when I was younger, I was, I mean, I used to be obsessed with soccer. Like it was honestly one of my obsessions and, um, soccer is, is like the, I mean, there's a lot of people in, in the U S soccer is almost treated like cheerleading, right? Like, like it's just barely support. <laughs> it's getting um, popular. It is getting more popular, It's but it, but it. But like overseas, though, soccer is like legit, like what American like football is here. Like, like soccer yeah. is a big deal oh, yeah. in other places. So I'm, I, I would love. We should go to a soccer game together. That's oh yeah, well, so much. Yeah, we'll, I watch. love soccer. Yeah, we'll go down there and watch it. I saw some videos and like really good view from the stands, and it looked like the crowd Sweet. was really into it. So I'd is that the ML, the M, the MLS team? Is yeah, that the, I think the, there's like twenty some teams now in the MLS. Yeah, it's, it's getting. Yeah. Said it's getting more popular, which is good. I want to be more popular. I think it's a great sport. Let's do it. Let's it's totally so go fun. sometime. Cool. Excellent. Sweet. All right, man. This has been great. Um, just everyone, I would just say and number one, thank you for for listening. We're we're excited. You know, listenership is growing little by little every week. So we're excited about that. And um, just I mean, the best thing you can do again to to get the word out on this podcast, share it with your friends. Literally take a screenshot of your podcast player on your phone, share it. Tag us in it on social media if you want to. Tag your friends in it. Say, hey, check out this awesome podcast. Um, you know, we're, we're not doing it just for the fun of it. We're doing it to help you also. So um, I, I would encourage you to do that. Any final thoughts? No. Well said. Well said. Sweet. Well, we'll see y'all next time. See ya.